the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing. Sam Moppin is engineering. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll share a conversation with Angel Murchison. She's the author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. We'll also uh, take a look at the graffiti pandemic and what's happening in Nigeria as the presidential election means uh, what it means for beleaguered Christians in that country. That and much more. First, looking at some of the headline news, like a bad dream for Americans who traveled to Mexico last week were confronted with gunfire shortly after crossing the border and kidnapped by members of the Mexican cartel with two of the four U.S. citizens reportedly killed in the attack and another left wounded. Uh, two of them, the survivors, one in critical condition, the other who survived, are now back in the country. The two deceased yet to be repatriated. The four Americans crossed the border from Brownsville, Texas, into the Mexican city of Matamoros uh, when their van was hit by gunfire. The van, which had uh, North Carolina plates, collided with another vehicle before armed men jumped out of a third vehicle, forced the four Americans into the back of a white truck, and then sped off. All four Americans were placed in a vehicle and taken from the scene by armed men. The FBI offered $50,000 reward for the victim's return and the arrest of the kidnappers uh, in a statement making that clear. Well, video from the scene showed a male victim being dragged across the pavement before he's loaded into the truck, while the female victim, who was able to walk, is forced into the bed of the same truck. Two more male victims, appearing possibly injured or dead, were then dragged toward the truck and loaded in the back. Well, two of the four Americans reportedly died in that attack, according to Reuters, which cited the governor uh, in the uh, the community. Another innocent Mexican bystander was also killed during the incident. The Americans were reportedly traveling to Mexico for a medical procedure and may not have been the intended target of that attack. There is one suspect that's currently in custody. Quick, overwhelming. North Korea has threatened to take quick, overwhelming action after the United States flew a nuclear-capable B-52 bomber over the Korean peninsula in an exercise with South Korean warplanes. Kim Yo-young, the sister of the dictator Kim Jong-un, made the threat as the U.S. and South Korea continue to carry out joint military exercises. On Portland's crimes crisis, which makes national headlines with some frequency, a trial attorney says that the lack of prosecution is creating a lawless free-for-all mentality right here in Portland. President Joe Biden's pick to run the Federal Communications Commission withdrew her name from consideration Tuesday. The White House confirmed Gigi Sohn, whom the White House first nominated in October of 2021, said her decision came in response to what she called unrelented, dishonest and cruel attacks from cable and media industry lobbyists, the Washington Post first reported. 
Sohn ruffled feathers with her past social media posts and views on certain key issues that prevented the Senate from ever holding a floor vote on her confirmation. During the Obama administration, she was one of the chief architects of net neutrality, a cornerstone of progressive telecom policy, which was reversed by the free market types uh, who ran the FCC under the former president, Donald Trump. The Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on Tuesday cautioned that interest rates are likely to head higher than central bank policymakers had expected. Citing data earlier this year showing that inflation has reversed the uh, uh, deceleration it showed in late 2022, the central bank uh, uh, leader warned of tighter monetary policy ahead of the slow-growing economy. It's still snowing in the Sierra Nevada after a weekend storm dumped several more feet of snow on top of the 12 feet that fell during the two weeks prior. The onslaught of precipitation is far from over. Signs point to a continued active weather pattern that could deliver massive additional amounts of precipitation in the next two weeks. With the temperature forecast to slowly rise, the concern is that an increasingly increasing portion of this precipitation may fall as rain, melting snowpack and leading to serious flooding risks. A staggering 48.33 feet of snow has fallen so far this winter at the Central Sierra Snow Lab near Donner Pass in California. Well, through the end of February, the recorded snowfall was unprecedented. The Sierra Nevada now has a snowpack that is 186 to 269 percent of normal. California is hit with 12 feet of snow, but the question, is it enough to ease the drought? Well, for the third year in a row, advocates are attempting to get a bill passed to allow people who are incarcerated on felony convictions to vote. If passed, it would make Oregon the first state to do so via legislation. Well, vandals attacked a pro-life Minneapolis Pregnancy Resource Center early in the morning on Saturday following a pro-abortion protest against the center and its work. Attackers broke seven windows at First Care Center, vandalized the building with messages like, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. And Jane was here on Friday night, according to the group's executive director. These messages um, uh, were signed by uh, Jane's Revenge, a radical group associated with attacks on more than 100 pro-life pregnancy centers and churches across the nation since May of 2022. A Minneapolis Police Department spokesman told the Daily Signal that the incident took place at 1.18 a.m., Officers from the 3rd Precinct were flagged down by a Metro Transit bus driver reporting two individuals damaging property at the location. The spokesman, Adam Kennedy, said officers responded to the site but found no one. Officers made contact with building security to take a report and proceed to um, take evidence from the scene. No arrests have yet been made. This is an active investigation, we're being told. With the approaching end of Title 42, the White House is reportedly considering re-implementing the policy of detaining migrant families rather than temporarily releasing them into the United States. We'll tell you more about that in just a few moments, but we do need to take a break. Also, a reminder coming up in the second hour, secret shame, overcoming pain and brokenness after an abortion. Angel Murchison will be our guest. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Hey, President Biden is considering detaining families for a maximum of 20 days, according to the New York Times. 
The reconsideration is based on growing fears within the White House that the border crossings will surge with the May 11th expiration of Title 42, a pandemic-era public health measure that allowed for the immediate um, detention of asylum claims. The administration will continue to prioritize safe, orderly, and humane processing of migrants, a spokesperson for the Department of Homeland Security told the New York Times. Well, the news uh, marks an abrupt reversal from the administration's previous commitment to reject the border policies of the former president, which Democrats have cast as inhumane, often referring to Republican efforts to put kids in cages, which were actually constructed under the previous administration. Well, children should be released from ICE detention with their parents. Immediately, uh, they uh, charge. Uh, presidential nominee Joe Biden tweeted in June of 2020, this is pretty simple and I can't believe I have to say it. Families belong together. Well, under ideal circumstances, we would all agree, but under these circumstances, it's not always feasible or possible. Well, a lead attorney for the Supreme Court case Reno versus Flores, which set limits on children or childhood detention, called the news heartbreaking. Ending the inhumane practice of family detention has been one of the only positive immigration policy decisions of the Biden administration, Welch told The Times. It's heartbreaking to hear there could be a return to the Trump era use of the practice, which, of course, was also under the previous administration. Although the Biden administration has consistently sought to make a point of approaching the border crisis and illegal crossings with a different tact from his predecessor, the president has sometimes uh, reinforced the Trump era policies. In early January, he expanded Title 42 by offering a limited number of individuals from Haiti Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba legal entrance into the United States so long as they had a financial sponsor. However, nationals from those countries who did not follow uh, the procedure would be expelled. Well, the following month, reports emerged that the White House was considering overhauling America's asylum adjudication system to expedite the workflow to border uh, processing centers. Well, these initiatives may have worked in the uh, uh, intervening months as border crossings between America and Mexico uh, hit new lows since the administration first came to office. But between December of 2020 and January of 23, these crossings dropped by 42 percent. Still, one anonymous White House official told Reuters it's all on the table when it comes to ongoing internal deliberations about border control. Under the uh, administration, the number of illegal migrants caught along the Mexico border rose to a record high in 2022. Customs and Border Patrol caught through 234,088 people crossing along the southern border in April of that year, the highest figure in recorded history of the DHS. The policy of family detention has been used by President George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday rejected a Florida city's request to dismiss a lawsuit brought by atheists who say they were offended after the city held a prayer vigil following a local mass shooting. The city of Ocala had asked the Supreme Court to clarify whether psychic or emotional uh, offense allegedly um, uh, falls into the category of observing religious messages. It was significant to grant the atheist standing to sue arguing uh, in this case. Well, the Supreme Court denied the city's petition, handing the atheists a temporary win. However, Justice Neil Gorsuch explained in a statement that the lower courts now reviewing the case should ultimately side with Ocala. The case concerned two individuals, Lucinda Hale and Art Rojas, who were members of the American Humanist Association. 
Hale and Rojas have accused Ocala of violating the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment after police organized a prayer vigil with local religious leaders in response to the 2014 shooting in which several children were injured. Court documents said police chaplains were praying and singing on stage while in uniform. The atheists claimed that the religious element of the prayer vigil, which would be religious in that it was a prayer vigil, were offensive and made them feel excluded. The district court and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit held that the atheists had standing to sue. Ocala sought to have the Supreme Court review the 11th Circuit Court's 2018 decision granting the atheists standing. Now, it's not on the merits of the case, but that they have standing to bring the case in light of the court's 2022 opinion in Kentucky versus Bremerton School District, when the Supreme Court said former football coach Joe Kennedy had the right to lead members of his team in voluntary post-game prayers. Now, in that case, he wasn't actually leading his team members. He prayed. He was joined by many of his team members. Well, the Supreme Court rejected the request, but Gorsuch wrote in an accompanying statement that the legal theory the lower courts used to grant the atheist standing called the Lemon Test for a 1971 Supreme Court ruling was now defunct. And evaluating whether a government action violates the Establishment Clause, the Lemon Test required courts to consider whether the action had a secular purpose, whether the government was estranged uh, and entangled, um, rather, with uh, religion, and whether the principal or primary effect of the action advanced or inhibited religion. As this court explained in Kennedy, the Lemon Test, of which the district court relied on, is no longer good law, Gorsuch wrote. And while he agreed with Ocala's argument that the atheists lacked standing to sue, he said the Supreme Court didn't need to intervene in the case because the 11th Circuit had already vacated it to the district court, where judges will be bound by the Kennedy decision. Moving forward, I expect lower courts will recognize the offended observer's standing has no uh, no more foundation in law than the Lemon Test that inspired it. If I am wrong, the city is free to seek relief here after final judgment, Gorsuch wrote. Well, Justice Clarence Thomas issued a separate dissent arguing that the Supreme Court should have taken up the case. He expressed serious doubts to the atheists' theory on standing and said the Supreme Court should have acted without waiting for the lower court process to play out. We should reconsider this this uh, seeming aberration before it uh, further erodes bedrock Article Three restrictions on the judicial power, he wrote. My guess is we haven't seen the last of that particular law. Well, TikTok launched a beguiling new filter last week that promises to turn every user into the most flawless version of themselves. While some social media influencers reveled in their goddess-like transformations, many users recoiled at the dramatic disparity between their real and artificial appearances. Catfishing to the next level, one female TikToker wrote, Captioning the uh, video of her trying out the, the filter, which TikTok calls Beyond Bold Glamour. This filter makes me feel ugly in real life, another wrote on her video. It hurt when I took it off, a TikToker named Valentina said. Well, the disturbed reaction are a harbinger of what's to come, according to several developmental psychologists who predict that the artificial intelligence-driven technology will be catastrophic for the mental and physical well-being of young girls who already harshly judge themselves against unattainable aesthetic standards. And while many early social media effects were com- were comical and obviously contrived, perhaps giving the user dog ears or costume-like makeup 
The new TikTok filter removes all facial imperfections without the glitches and other clues that previously revealed the unreality of filtered images. It leaves a contoured, chiseled visage with more proportioned features, plumping the lips, shrinking the nose, uh, eliminating blemishes, evening out the skin tone and adding eyeshadow, blush and um, other touch ups. Well, the filter is likely to raise the already sky high bar for beauty and young girls will be hardest hit, according to a professor in adolescent medicine at the Pediatric Research Center at the University of Helsinki in Finland. Girls are already really struggling uh, with this notion of an acceptable image. Social comparison is natural for female adolescents, but social media makes them feel constantly inadequate. The filter will likely exacerbate that, she said. Uh, you see a perfect life. You see those perfect people. And you look at yourself in your mirror with your pimple and what goes with being a teen, and it drags you down. Social media has also driven young people to perfection in other areas of life. It affects that um, uh, with effects that enhance physical attractiveness are narrowing the perceived range of typical and achievable body types in the minds of young girls. Instead of the spectrum of what we used to see as normal, it's now narrowing into something that's impossible for 90% of the people on this earth. I read a headline earlier today in which Kim Kardashian was being referred to as a hero because she appeared on social media unaltered. It was just her normal face. Now, the truth is, that's what I do every day. And I'm not called a hero because I'm not considered an iconic beauty. But this is the culture that girls find themselves in, that she is somehow a woman of virtue because she was willing to appear without her image being enhanced in any way. And that puts tremendous pressure on young girls to just navigate life as they actually are. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, a conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame. We'll also take a look at the graffiti pandemic that's taking place not just here in our community, but apparently in Europe as well. And America is missing tourists. The cost, rather significant. That and more coming up later in the second hour of today's program. Well, problematic priorities, a leaked energy security memo could torpedo a key Biden nominee, a leaked uh, internal administration memo which showed officials prioritizing climate change over energy security could force the White House to pull the plug on a key nominee in the November 25th memo. Former Bureau of Ocean Energy Management Director Amanda Lefton recommended that the Department of the Interior charge energy companies a royalty rate of 18.75%, the highest allowable rate under the law, for a 958,202-acre offshore oil and gas lease sale in Alaska. Well, Lefton acknowledged in the recommendation that charging a lower rate of 16.67% would likely offer greater energy security but wouldn't properly account for climate change. A federal agency in the Department of Homeland Security that's been scrutinized for what critics argue is suppression of dissenting political views under the guise of combating disinformation now appears to be burying evidence of its alleged censorship, experts and watchdog groups say. But the investigation continues saying you ain't seen nothing yet. Governor DeSantis is aiming for more conservative legislative victories in Florida. Hmm. 
Credibility crisis. The Washington Post rejected the COVID-19 lab leak theory as a conspiracy theory that was already debunked in a since corrected report that helped launch a trend of dismissing potential pandemic origins before uncovering the facts. The theory that COVID originated from a lab leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology was embraced by FBI Director Christopher Wray last week, and a recent bombshell report indicated that the U.S. Energy Department believes the virus likely started in a lab. And while the sentiment was expressed by top Trump administration officials nearly from the outset, many mainstream media organizations were quick to dismiss the theory. In 2021, journalists and media critic Drew Holden suggested the Washington Post was perhaps the worst offender among news outlets in outright dismissing the lab leak theory from the start. The Post was forced to issue an embarrassing correction to the story. Governor Gavin Newsom is being blasted for declaring we're done with Walgreens for restricting abortion pills. And in wallet woes, federal chair or rather Fed chair uh, Powell's testimony may spell more bad news for borrowers. Deeply wrong, Elon Musk torched the House January 6th committee for misleading the public. Apparently, the the video is now available to the public and you can judge for yourself. Dr. Fauci funded the story to disprove and cover up the covid lab leak theory. He commissioned a scientific study that purported to debunk the hypothesis that covid escaped from a laboratory at Wuhan, China, according to emails released by House Republicans. The GOP led House Select Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic revealed that the nation's leading epidemiologist in February of 2020 directed and approved a paper titled The Proximal Origin of SARS-CoV-2, which he later cited as uh, to cast a lab leak theory as a myth. Uh, Charlie Kirk points out that new emails uncovered by the uh, House committee expose a plot by Fauci to debunk the Wuhan lab theory. Ask yourself, why was he so motivated to spend U.S. taxpayer money to spread misinformation and cover up the truth about the origin of the virus? I should mention that the administration has um, mixed um Positions on the subject. Benny Johnson says reporters who exposed Hunter Biden's laptop dropped a bombshell trove of Fauci emails proving panic lab leak cover up. We'll continue to follow this story for clarification. Four Americans were taken while traveling to Mexico for medical procedure. Two were killed. Two survived. One is uh, in critical condition and has been returned to the U.S. A D.C. councilman attempted to withdraw the crime bill destined to fail in the Senate. The chairman, Phil Mendelson, on Monday said he sent a letter to the Senate to withdraw changes to the city's crime law ahead of a vote on a Republican-backed bill designed to undo them. Mendelson's withdrawal comes after the president told Senate Democrats at a closed-door lunch meeting last week that he won't veto the measure and will allow Congress to overrule the D.C. council, angering advocates for the city's autonomy. Antifa broke into a police training facility in Atlanta. 23 have been charged with domestic terrorism. Dramatic footage released by the Atlanta Police Department Sunday night showed the moment Antifa protesters dressed in all black broke into the construction site for a proposed police training facility. Nearly 150 rioters could be seen in video posted on Facebook dressed in all black or camouflage and wearing ski masks enter the site of Atlanta's future police, a rather public safety training facility dubbed Cop City by those who protest its development and immediately set off fireworks. Atlanta police posted a list of 23 charged with domestic terrorism by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. The list so shows rather only two of these people are from Georgia, while the rest are from other states as well as France and Canada. 
People launched fireworks and threw large rocks, bricks, and Molotov cocktails during the clash, said police, and some construction equipment caught fire. A poll shows Americans want President Biden to be tougher on China. A majority of American voters want the president to take a a stronger stance against China. New polls shows when asked how the administration should address tensions between the United States and China, nearly 57.6 percent of respondents said the government should be more aggressive in leading a global coalition to contain China. Broken down by party affiliation, more than 76 percent of Republicans, nearly 40 percent of Democrats voiced support for an aggressive response. Among independents, 54 percent said Biden should take the aggressive stance. California is forcing Hollywood to be more woke under a proposal from the governor's office. Productions that fail to meet their diversity goals will lose four percent of their tax credit allocation. The provision is part of a five year extension of the state's three hundred and thirty million dollar tax credit. Productions that receive the credit will be required to submit a diversity work plan under which they must commit to hire a crew that is broadly reflective of the state's demographics. Bounding into comics in recent years, the Gay Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation has made it a a point to produce an annual studio responsibility index, which grades the top eight major Hollywood studios based on the quality, quantity and diversity of the LGBTQIA plus representation. There are so many that the plus just represent it goes on and on and on. Uh, in their films. In the organization's 10th annual report, all seven major film studios failed to receive a passing grade based on the ever-evolving standards of LGBTQIA plus representation. A Minnesota Democrat ranted about how white people adopting Indian children is genocide. The Minnesota Democrat in the state legislature is facing criticism after allegedly posting online that white Christians who adopt Native American children are contributing to genocide. The post from Keeler, who is a Native American and an enrolled member of the Yankton Sioux tribe, followed up on a post from her professional Facebook page with a similar sentiment that said stripping Native American children of their identity is a form of genocide. She's assuming their identity is being stripped. Uh, the Republican Party of Minnesota attacked the Minnesotans' race or religion have no place in our discourse. We condemn Representative Keeler's hateful and extremist rhetoric. Dems need to denounce this speech immediately. It's an ongoing debate. Speaker McCarthy is planning to meet with Taiwan's president during his visit here in the U.S. The uh, House Speaker plans to meet the uh, the president of Taiwan here in the coming weeks, a move that could replace the Republican Speaker's anticipated but very sensitive trip to the democratically governed island claimed by China. China views engagement between the U.S. and Taiwanese officials as a breach of its sovereignty, a perceived slight uh, sharpened by the fact that the Speaker of the House is the second in line to the U.S. presidency. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, Angel Murchison, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After Abortion. And we'll also take a look at what's happening in Nigeria and the crusade that uh, Franklin Graham is engaged in in Vietnam. It is an historic occasion. Well, a drone strike in Yemen killed two Al-Qaeda members. Al-Qaeda's arm in the Arabian Peninsula said two of the militant group's operatives, including its media chief, were killed by a suspected U.S. drone in central Yemen last month. 
The announcement came Sunday in a five-page obituary posted on militant websites typically used by the extremist group. It says the group's media chief was killed along with another al-Qaeda member when it purportedly U.S. Um, drone hit their res- uh, their residence in central Yemen in February. The CIA declined to comment on the suspected attack. Another suspected U.S. strike on al-Qaeda operatives in January reportedly killed three in Yemen. Gavin Newsom says California will uh, cut business ties with companies that do not support abortion. He said California will no longer do business with Walgreens days after the pharmaceutical chain announced it doesn't intend to dispense a major abortion medication in some states where the pill remains illegal or rather legal. The Democratic governor who has championed California as a sanctuary state for abortion indicated California would be cutting ties with Walgreens and any company that cowers to the extremists and put women's lives at risk, excluding, of course, women whose lives are yet in utero. It's not clear how Newsom plans to cease business with Walgreens, but that's his bluster today. Despite the pending Supreme Court decision, student loans are already being forgiven. Thanks to a program established near the end of the Obama era, the Biden administration has been forgiving student loan debt, which means you're paying for them, to the tune of $6 billion thus far. The Education Department program allows students to raise the claim that they were either misled or that their school broke state law when they signed up for the loans. Using this program, Biden's Department of Education has canceled the loan debt of more than 200,000 students with another 64,000 on the docket. The ultimate goal of the administration is clear. Make higher education free for students by having taxpayers foot the bill. And if Republicans stop it or take back the money, they'll be the bad guys. The Biden administration has lost 20,000 migrant students or children, rather. A consequence of the de facto open border are the increasing numbers of unaccompanied minors interdicted by U.S. Border Patrol. Given the uh, administration issues detaining migrant children who enter the country illegally, these children have been discharged into the care of various sponsors. The trouble is of the 108,981 individual distinct children released to sponsors in 2021 nearly 20,000 are unaccounted for to make matters worse the administration apparently doesn't care enough to do anything about finding these missing minors despite the sad reality that many of these children are likely being sex trafficked or exploited in the workplace governor desantis is urging observers to choose between california and florida in what appears to be a run-up to his likely presidential bid Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was in California on Sunday, taking the opportunity to highlight the stark differences between the states, contrasting California's storied past with its troubled present of spiked crime, high taxes and woke indoctrination in schools. Florida Governor DeSantis observed the result. Now you see the state hemorrhaging population. He then plugged Florida as a beacon of anti-woke liberty, where we say very clearly we will uh, never, ever surrender to the woke mob, end quote. In fact, our state is where woke goes to die. He explained his presence in the Garden State with a subtle jab at Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom, who may also be pondering a presidential run. Your governor is very concerned about what you're doing, what we're doing in Florida. So I figured I had to come by, end quote. Socialist standards, uh, Sanders rather, struggled to explain the difference between equality and equity. The center was on liberal comedian Bill Maher's show last Friday as part of his tour for his latest book. It's OK to be angry about capitalism. And what should have been a predictable question, Maher asked Sanders how he would differentiate between equity and equality. 
Stumbling Sanders stated, well, equality, we talk about, uh, I don't know what the answer is to this. He then added, equality is equality of opportunity. After Marr defined equity as a guaranteed outcome, he asked Sanders, which side do you come down on? Equality, Sanders answered. If this is what Sanders actually believes, then why did he write his anti-capitalism book? Well, as political commentator Dave Rubin insightfully um, observed, this should officially end the grift. Well, the Biden administration is considering reinstating the detention of migrant families. The D.C. Council has withdrawn its controversial crime bill after the president says he'd kill it. A CNN boss ordered staff not to look into the COVID-19 lab leak theory because it was a Trump talking point. An SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center lawyer, has been arrested in the Atlanta Molotov cocktail riot facing terrorism charges. Facing a crime surge, New York City's mayor tells store owners to ban face masks. Prosecutors claimed L.A.'s soft on crime D.A. has been exiled for speaking out. She just won $1.5 million. Thousands of U.S.-based Twitter bots boost Trump but criticize Haley and DeSantis. Well, the vast majority of U.S. homes are unaffordable to the average buyer. Well, on this day in history, 1793, during the French Revolutionary Wars, France declares war on Spain. 1850, in a three-hour speech to the U.S. Senate, Daniel Webster of Massachusetts endorses the Compromise of 1850 as a means of preserving the Union. 1911, President William Howard Taft orders 20,000 troops to patrol the U.S.-Mexico border in response to the Mexican Revolution. On this day in history, 1912, Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen arrives at Hobart, Australia, where he dispatches telegrams announcing his success in leading the first expedition to the South Pole the previous December. 1926, the first successful transatlantic radio telephone conversations take place between New York and London. 1936, Adolf Hitler orders his troops to march into Rhineland, thereby breaking the Treaty of Versailles and the Locarno Pact. Also on this day in history, 1965, a march by civil rights demonstrators is violently broken up at the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, by the state troopers and a sheriff's posse in what uh, would come to be known as Bloody Sunday. 1975, the U.S. Senate reverses its filibuster rule, allowing 60 senators to limit debate in most cases instead of previously required two-thirds of senators present. 1981, anti-government guerrillas in Colombia execute kidnapped American Bible translator Chester Bitterman, whom they accused of being a CIA agent. 1994, the U.S. Navy issues its first permanent orders assigning women to regular duty on a combat ship. 29, or rather 2014, Russia is swept up in patriotic fervor in anticipation of bringing Crimea back into its territory, with tens of thousands of people converging on Red Square in Moscow chanting, Crimea is Russia. 2018, the White House says Mexico, Canada, and other countries uh, can be spared from President Trump's planned steel and aluminum tariffs under national security carve-outs. And finally, on this day in history, 2019, former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort is sentenced to 47 months in prison on eight counts of bank and tax fraud. A federal jury in Virginia had convicted him in August of 2018. 
Well, let's see. We've got news and traffic coming up here in just a moment. In the second hour of today's program, we'll hear from Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. We'll also talk about the graffiti pandemic, America's missing tourists, and Nigeria's presidential election and what that means for beleaguered Christians. More Christians are persecuted in Nigeria than any other country on the globe. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. My next guest, Angel Murchison, is the author of Secret Shame. She describes how easy it was to gain access to have an abortion as a 15-year-old and describes her post-abortion syndrome, or PTSD, a form of it, that impacts between 40 to 60 percent of women who choose abortion. Well, the symptoms include emotional numbness, depression, guilt, regret, anxiety, and much more. The subtitle of her book, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion, is something they don't tell you at Planned Parenthood, she says. Well, we're going to talk about her, go- her book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Angel is the founder of Healing Waters Women's Ministry, the author of Good Morning, Beautiful People, Angel Prayer of the Day, Angel's Prayer of the Day, and a radio talk show host on Destiny Moments. She speaks out about the impact of post-abortion stress and offers help and hope to women who have had an abortion like she did. She lives in Maine and has three adult daughters. She joins us today to talk about her book. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's so important, I think, for those who are called to share their stories to do so for the sake of those who have never shared their story. And I I imagine there are many listening today who have had an abortion and perhaps have never told anyone or bear the guilt of a decision made years ago, believing that that weight will always have to be carried. Your uh, your first words to those who are carrying that weight. That Jesus um, has come to set you free and that by his grace and his mercy that he paid the price um, for that pain and that brokenness and he can make you whole again. You know, I wrote the book, um, Georgine, from a heart of love, the mm-hmm. father's love. And he wants he wants uh, his women to be made whole. And I know women suffer in silence um, that have had an abortion. I minister to many women across this globe that have um, have chosen the abortion or had a forced abortion or maybe the appointment was made for them. And um, God has taken the sting out. And although there is consequences and, and you won't see the child until you're in heaven, um, but God does. He does bring healing to that hurting soul, and he will and he can deliver you from the emotional pain of an abortion. Amen. Now, you open up the book Secret Shame, uh, writing about your childhood. Tell us a bit about how what your childhood was like and how that impacted choices you would make in your future. Well, I was the 14th birth to my parents, and I would be like probably the least one that would be likely to succeed. Um, My dad struggled with alcoholism, and my mom died when I was eight years of age. And so I was left with lots of holes in my heart. But, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, he has a plan for every life, and 
He had a plan for my life before the foundations of the earth, his word told me. And, you know, I grew up in poverty, and I know um, what it's like to go without lots of things. Um, But God, um, somehow, I just knew that there was, there was, there was, something different, that there was something that God was going to do with me, even in my teenage years, even when I was living a destructive lifestyle, and I started drinking alcohol at an early age, looking for love, and I just, um, I know that the enemy also has a plan for every life, but God's God's plan overcame, and I'm so thankful today for his mercy and his grace, and that's what I speak about um, to women that that are suffering in silence. Um, when you receive the Father's love, that was the very first writing um, that I had ever penned. I was sitting at my desk at a lunch hour, and um, I didn't really know the love of my father. My My dad was almost 50 when I was born. And to me, that was quite old. <laughs> but today, <laughs> it's like, that's not old at all. But, um, <clears throat> but oh, Father, your love for me is so hard to comprehend. You died for me when I was yet a sinner. Love, you had no boundaries. You took my sin and you made me whole again. Such love, the love of my Father. When I chose the path of the evil one, you loved me, and you led me to your path again. Such love, the love of my Father. When I cried because of all the pain, you healed the pain and removed my shame. Oh, such love. Where others wounded me, you bound up my wounds and filled me with joy. Such love, the love of my Father. When I needed guidance, you left me your word and your Holy Spirit. Such love, the love of my Father. Whatever the future holds for me is in your hands, for your love for me has made me whole. My Father, you say in your word that the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, and this is my future because of the love of my Father. And, you know, that was profound, Georgine, Mm -hmm. when I wrote that that day, because I began to experience him as a good father. Amen. Well, let me ask you, you're 15 years old. Um, You have an unintended pregnancy what went through your mind? Were you motivated by fear? Were you pressured? How did your abortion come about? Well, I can honestly say that I didn't even know the word abortion at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had told a family member and, and a, an appointment was made for me in a different town. And um, I was told it wasn't really a baby, that it was just a blob of tissue. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the appointment. I don't remember them ever explaining anything different. Um, And just had a procedure, and they said it was a quick procedure. It was quick, but it changed my life forever. And I buried that for many, many years. And it was at a, it was on a Friday evening at a church service I was at, and I, this couple from Canada were. They were singing about a little soul in heaven, and all of a sudden, I began to feel this overwhelming pain um, just come right up out of my inner being, right from my soul, and I had a very hard time to keep it together until I got home that night. I mean, tears just kept coming down my face, and um, 
But as I, I got home and I got on my knees beside my bed, it was the first time that I'd ever actually began to deal with that, the whole issue. It was just buried um, deep within. But God says, whatever's done in the dark is brought to the light. And I'm so thankful that he brought it to the light because then I could deal with it. And I remember um, going to um, a, a local Christian bookstore and I purchased a book about the aftermath of abortion. And I prayed every prayer. I I just I just wanted to be free. But God had told me, he said, I want you to call this individual and tell them that you've had an abortion. And I did that. I, I didn't want to at first, but I know about being obedient. So I called this other woman and I said, um, you know, I, I need to tell you something. I feel like God has led me to, to share this with you. And she shared that she had had an abortion too. And I've heard and one out of three, one out of four women today have had an abortion. And um, so we have a lot of women that need healing. And I have come to know Christ, the healer. And he tells us in his word in John eight thirty six, whom the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. And when, that he has been true to do. When you connected with someone who had had the same experience that God had specifically directed you to, did you begin your healing journey there? Or was there just the first step in admitting to someone what had happened? What was the next step? We'll We'll get into that when we come back from our break. But I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking this afternoon with my guest. Um, Her name is Angel Murchison and her book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Just before the break, you uh, told us about the service you had attended that really opened your eyes to what had happened. You were directed to speak with someone you didn't know had had a similar experience, had had an abortion. When the two of you connected, what happened next? And was it just a first step? Did the two of you go on this journey together? What happened? Well, it was someone that I I did know, um, but I didn't know anything about her past. But I I did uh, speak to her about it and Unfortunately, we didn't um, heal together, but I did go to the local pregnancy care center and I did a Bible study there with another individual and she had had several abortions and we did uh, a study together and I went deeper into my healing. And then, you know, it, it, um, the very first step when I, shared that with her originally, to be honest with you, I felt like I lost 50 pounds. I felt like Mm. my life had just changed. It was, you know, admitting that I had an abortion that I, that I heard from it. And um, in the book of secret shame that I penned, there's a a three day Bible study in attached on the back and it's very um, light but it's very profound and I went through the process I named my child Um, I knew 
I sensed that the Lord had told me that it was a boy, and so I named him Jeremiah. Jeremiah is my favorite book in the Bible, and we have a day of remembrance of my child, and um, he gave me, uh, I asked the Lord to lead me to something. Um, Some people plant a tree, but I knew I wasn't going to be living in that home that I was in, and um, so I wanted something that I could take with me, and I'll never forget the day that he led me to this little precious moment um, boy standing behind a microphone. And you know, Georgine, when you see something or God shows you something or something is highlighted to you, you just, you know, your heart skips a beat or something, you know, you just know. And so everywhere I go, I have this little, um, little boy, the precious moment boy that stands behind a microphone. And so although um, he doesn't have a voice, I'm his voice today, and um, I like to tell people um, about my story so that, you know, they could get all the facts and know that there's there's pain, there's brokenness that comes to your life after you have an abortion. Um, I didn't think I would share my story with the world, mm-hmm. but um, as God brought healing to me, I wanted other people to be free, too. And I would be sitting on an airplane. I was coming back from a writer's conference. Um, and, you know, the lady beside me just got to chatting with me. And, you know, she'd say, I don't know why I would ever tell you this, but I had an abortion um, at the writer's conference itself. Um, a, a young lady had said to one of the other ladies at the conference, um, tell that woman to write a book, No Mummy, Don't Do It. Um, and so I asked if I could speak with her, and I did. And she had had, I believe, three abortions, and her friend had had 12. And so I began to see that God wanted to use this in my life. And um, people it, feel comfortable to share that secret. Yeah, in order to minister to others. Let me ask you, before you had that uh, that epiphany, the moment in which you were broken, considering that you had had an abortion that led to the first step of disclosing that to someone. Were there um, post-traumatic stress um, symptoms that you experienced that you didn't necessarily connect to the abortion, but you knew that there was something that made life difficult? You yes. mentioned uh, a moment ago that you had struggled with alcohol. What? How did this, uh, this regret um, manifest itself in your life? Well, I did. Um, I started drinking alcohol prior to the abortion, to be honest with you, um, back in junior high school. And um, but after um, the abortion, it just seemed like it was more pain that was just buried deep. And, um, you know, we used to party a lot on the weekends. And, um, you know, I I would feel very sad, like on Mother's Day. Um, I thought it was because of the loss of my own mom. But then I would feel that sadness again, you know, a certain time of year. And it would, I can remember like when it would rain really hard, I'd feel very sad. And I was like, where is this coming from? And, um, but the day that I went for the abortion, I remember that it was raining. It was a, it was a rainy day. And, you know, I, um, I was just a kid, 15 yeah. years old. And, um, 
And today, um, I know that as I've ministered to other women that have had abortions, um, most of it comes from fear. They don't know how they would ever um, provide for the child. Maybe the father is no longer in the picture. Um, But, you know, I can say that God has a plan for every single life. And when I look back at my own life, you know, being the 14th birth to a uh, a family, uh, that would, it would be a tough life, but yet God had a plan. And I have two sisters, one that was born with a rare bone disease and one that was born, um, she was um, intellectually delayed. She was, um, she couldn't speak. And we, her name was Ethel, and she's gone on to heaven now, but we used to call her Hookie. And um, she used to give us a little talk with her fist now and then. She'd be angry or whatever. And and I remember talking with God one day about that. Um, you know, I said, God's life was really tough with her. And um, yet we loved her and we wanted the best for her. And one Christmas I had gotten a radio. It was um, a little white round radio from Radio Shack and she wanted that and it's the only gift I remember getting that wasn't a donated gift and um, I gave it to her and as I was talking to God about that one day he said I just felt like he said didn't I give that back to you you're on the radio all over the world And, you know, in Isaiah 61, he tells us that he rebuilds the ancient ruins of our lives, that, um, you know, he he brings beauty from the ashes. And so no matter what you've lost today, God is able, he's willing, he loves you, and he's come to make you whole. So I like to, Georgine, bring women to the healing waters of Jesus Christ. Um, he's the greatest healer. He's the greatest lover of man's soul. And he um, loves to journey with his people. We're just about out of time, but I want to ask you for uh, women who read the book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. What what can they expect? Second uh, class citizenship in the kingdom of God? where you continue to bear the weight of a decision that was made that ended the life of a child, or is there complete freedom and joy that can be experienced because God forgives every sin, regardless of what it is and, uh, and who has committed it? What might a woman expect when she is liberated from that burden? She can expect to walk in that freedom, that those chains that has kept her bound, the, the lies that she would um, never be free, that she could never be forgiven. You know, you have to believe what God says about you. Yes. And he said, I have come to set the captive free. And today um, I would declare and decree over every woman that would read this book and that would be um, willing to believe the word of the Lord over their life, that they can and they will be set free. Once again, the title of the book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Um, Angel Murchison, thank you so much for the book, for sharing your story, and for encouraging women um, to resolve the issue before God and experience the freedom that you write about, uh, that you speak about, and um, 
just being willing to to share your story. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, by the way, where can our listeners uh, find your book? Um, they can find it at most um, bookstores, um, Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. Um, so it won't be I difficult. I have a personal website as well. It's www.goodmorningbeautifulpeople.net. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I was reading with some interest a, a post on the Patriot Post on the graffiti pandemic. I was driving down the street recently here in the Portland area, and I was struck by how many buildings and fences and areas of uh, public um, gathering were marked by graffiti. Well, apparently it's not a new thing and it's not just in our area. In some parts of the world, it's considered a favorable thing, although graffiti is one thing. Uh, tagging is one thing. Artistic expression that's permitted is another. But anyway, Jack Devine wrote about this and he writes that arriving in Athens after nearly 24 hours of air travel, we were met at the airport by a Viking cruise representative and taken to the shuttle bus to the ship. Well, Athens is a beautiful city, and this was a perfect day to see it for the first time. Sunny and sparkling with a deep blue sky common to all travel brochures. But from our shuttle bus, um, from the windows, uh, we kept grabbing. What kept grabbing my attention was the graffiti everywhere, seemingly covering every square inch of street level vertical space in every direction. It wasn't offensive or obscene or particularly ugly. It was just there, intruding constantly on the iconic vista. He goes on to point out, I asked our guide about it. He explained that Athenians consider their street art, and that's in quotes, to be a good thing, artistic free expression. With that in mind, I look again at the endless stream of the street art graffiti flashing by the bus windows, and I can grudgingly admit that some of it is, in fact, colorful and engaging. But most of it is not. In fact, it's uh, it's depressingly ordinary. The same spray painted fat loopy words and shapes that contaminate urban landscapes everywhere planted in every passersby line of sight without consent by anonymous people who choose to use other people's property, public or private, as their personal canvas. Well, in recent years, large swaths of graffiti have become commonplace in nearly every European city. And of course, it's not limited to Europe, not even Venice. This magical, timeless, once pristine jewel of a city is exempt. American cities are overrun with graffiti as well. I can't quantify the trend, but my sense is that graffiti is expanding everywhere exponentially and uncontrollably. Are most people learning to like it or surely some do or are they just tolerating it? I would be in the latter category. I'm just tolerating it. Or perhaps just tuning it out altogether. I wish I was able to do that, but I cannot. Well, regardless, graffiti is becoming a fixture in our landscape. And apparently it's not just here. It's abroad as well. Well, Jack Devine goes on to make the point, saying that my point here is not just to be the grumpy old man grumbling about the the quality of the public art or the behavior of those who insist on keeping it in our faces. I believe there are more compelling questions to consider. Is there a correlation between the external deterioration of our culture and its deeper internal upheavals? Is ever-present graffiti just one more visible sign of a decaying civilization? 
I can think of one major example of civilization attempting to push back in the 1970s, a time we all remember as ominously chaotic. Well, those of us who were around back then, every one of New York City's 6,400 subway cars was hideously defaced with graffiti, top to bottom, inside and outside. And at the same time, that entire New York City subway system was in disarray and disrepair with unreliable operations, rather diminishing ridership and skyrocketing crime. In New York City, mass transit is central to every aspect of urban life. For two decades, successive administrations struggled to arrest its decline. It may may not have been clear whether the ubiquitous subway car graffiti was a cause or an effect of the deep-seated problems with the city's sprawling system. But one thing was known for sure. The defaced cars sent the message that no one was in charge and that anything goes anarchy in the subway. Bit by bit... Car by car, they eliminated graffiti from the New York City subway system. It was a massive, expansive crusade, and it was not until 1989 that the MTA could announce that the last car had been cleaned. And through that and other well, simultaneous efforts, the city's trains started running on time, and ridership, had, uh, uh, those who had given up on mass transit, returned. The city's subways became not just cleaner, but safer. New York City was uh, not a permanent success. Graffiti is creeping back and subway crime is up, although neither at the level endured in the 70s. But the lesson applicable to mass transit and every other aspect of modern life is there for the learning. Where is this all going? It seems clear enough today that vandalism of public and private property, even if such vandalism offers an opportunity for free expression, is incompatible with civilized life. And it seems clear as well that there is, well, there is a, really not a, a middle ground as being tried in the UK and elsewhere of designating certain spaces for public art with suitable, acceptable criterion and control. Well, in today's political climate, that may be hard to sell, but the alternative is much uglier. Like subway cars in the 1970s, with every service, public or private, became a fair game for free expression, if you will. Your house, your new car, your children's school, ultimately, that would lead to the tipping point of collective public conviction that enough is enough. Better that we reach that point sooner rather than later. It's has struck me of late that this same defacing of public and private property has continued at pace throughout our community. Well, 40 mayors from 18 states have signed a letter to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken in which they beg the State Department to speed up issuing visas to tourists whom they want to see back and spending in their towns from Austin, Texas to Urbana, Illinois. Well, all those missing visas cost the U.S. economy around $5 billion last year and will reduce tourist arrivals by $2.5 million this year at a cost of another $7 billion, the mayors claim in their February 13th letter to Anthony Blinken. Sanctuary cities such as New York really could use this money because these cities now realize what it means uh, when those blank checks they wrote promising unlimited housing, education, social services for foreign nationals who pay no taxes start getting cashed. It is uh, slowly dawning on even the most... Um, Liberal local politicians that supporting President Joe Biden's uh, reckless open border policies have serious costs for states and for cities. The flood of uh, migrants comes when city budgets are already reeling from COVID-19 shutdowns and high crime. 
When COVID-19 hit in March of 2020, I remember it well, America's cities shut down schools, restaurants, theaters, transportation. However, many cities kept closed well beyond the worst phase of the pandemic, exacerbating lost revenue. Well, the powerful Chicago Teachers Union demanded school closures into 2022, despite growing evidence that masks didn't prevent the spread of COVID-19 and that natural immunity gave significant protection. Well, the District of Columbia still has mask mandates for government buildings, and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser has only just started advocating return to federal workers who sustained the city's food service businesses. On the New York, now that tourism is reviving, Mayor Eric Adams is uh, using valuable hotels to house those in the uh, in the state illegally, uh, thereby sabotaging the uh, the surrounding restaurants and services that rely on tourists. Well. It's a story that requires more time than we have, but um, it is uh, it is rather interesting that these mayors are crying out to the president for help. Um, they're uh, talking about the visa wait time, the fact that it's so long, making it difficult for people who want to come into the country. This is pandemic related uh, in the consular section overseas and so on. Again, it requires more time. We'll return to this at a uh, later date, but um, tourism is one of the casualties that we're currently seeing. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, in what's being dubbed an historic first, Vietnam's communist government has permitted a foreign Christian speaker to hold an evangelistic outreach. Evangelist Franklin Graham will share God's love with the people of the Southeast Asian country this week at the Spring Love Festival. The festival is historic because this is the first time the government has given permission for an evangelistic outreach with a foreign speaker outside of a religious holiday. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association shared a statement with the Christian Post. Um, the association president and CEO, the son of late evangelist Billy Graham, will speak at two events at the Fu Tho Sports Facility in Ho Chi Minh City on Saturday and Sunday. He arrived in Vietnam on Wednesday, was warmly welcomed by Deputy Prime Minister Lee Min Kai and officials from the Ministry's Foreign Affairs and Ministry of Home Affairs and Government Committee for Religious Affairs. I'm grateful for this and thankful to the Deputy Prime Minister and the government for allowing me to come and preach in Vietnam a second time, Graham said. I will share a message of God's love for the people of Vietnam. Well, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association worked with more than 300 churches in Vietnam for the uh, Spring Love Festival, which is open to all. The weekend program will also feature musical performances from singer Michael W. Smith, Lu Chi Vai, Isaac Tai, uh, and others. Uh, Pastor Ho Tan Khoi, who is one of the local leaders of the event, said in a statement that the uh, Protestant churches love the people of Ho Chi Minh City very much, of which more than 90 percent of the population do not know Christ. We are honored to join Billy Graham's Missionary Association for the opportunity to share the love of the Lord, the pastor said. We've been praying for a long time for the evangelism to take place and are so happy that Pastor Franklin Graham is coming to share the good news of God's love to everyone at the Spring Love Evangelism Program. In their meeting in Hanoi, government officials discussed with Graham the country's religious diversity, claimed that government supports religious freedom, even though human rights advocates have warned for years about the troubling religious freedom conditions in Vietnam. Officials reportedly 
uh, told Graham how helpful churches were in their communities during the COVID-19 pandemic, which was an expression and extension of the love of Christ. Graham preached in Hanoi in 2017, and the communist government has given permission to hold Christian events during the Easter and Christmas seasons in the past, but not to a foreign speaker or outside of religious festivals. The 2023 Open Doors U.S. Watch uh, World Watch List, which ranks countries based on their level of persecution and discrimination faced by Christians, ranked Vietnam as the 25th most dangerous country in the world for followers of Christ. Historical Christian communities, Roman Catholic churches included, enjoy a certain amount of freedom unless they become politically active, which can lead to imprisonment or are involved in land grabbing cases. Open Doors warns in a Vietnam fact sheet. Evangelical and Pentecostal congregations, most of whom gather in house churches, are closely monitored and they face discrimination at the uh, at various uh, levels of government and society. Well, Open Doors notes that since many converts belong to ethnic minority communities like the Hmong, authorities are particularly suspicious of them. Their homes are sometimes destroyed. They are um, then forced to leave their villages, the fact sheet states, yet their numbers are reported to be growing. Last year, critics warned that new draft regulations proposed by the government committee for religious affairs again in Vietnam would allow the government to exert even more pressure on registered religious organizations. Well, the Christian Post recently spoke with uh, Reverend uh, Peter Nguyen Van Kai, a Vietnamese Catholic priest now living outside the country at the 2023 International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington, D.C. He spoke about the uh, uh, the religious freedom conditions in his country, his home country, one of the few remaining uh, countries still uh, ruled by the Communist Party. For years, regulations and laws governing religion have allowed the government to control the activities of registered religious organizations and churches. Van Kai was forbidden by the Communist government from becoming a priest, studying in a monastery, doing pastoral work in churches and going abroad to study. He had studied uh, theology and philosophy secretly for 14 years before being ordained a Catholic priest. Again, just one example of the challenge there. But this crusade uh, and historic opportunity to share the gospel. Meanwhile, for years, Nigeria has earned the dubious honor of being the most deadly country on the planet for Christians. And while they uh, comprise 49 percent of the population, Christians, Nigerian Christians are at great risk of violence, discrimination, and social ostracization by the country's many extreme Muslims. In 2022, more than 4,000 Christians were killed by terrorists in the country of Nigeria. Well, in the lead-up to the country's presidential election, it was held on the 25th of last month, many had hoped new leadership would open the door for Nigeria's transformation into a place marked by religious freedom and protection. When the ballots were finally tallied, The uh, winner, the Muslim candidate from the ruling um, All Progressives uh, Congress, was declared the winner. And while some religious freedom advocates worried that the uh, victory would serve to perpetuate the status quo, there are many reasons to maintain hope that he can usher in a freer Nigeria. And while he admittedly has his work cut out for him, he can turn the tide of Islamic extremism and uh, make Nigeria safe for Christians again. At least that's the hope and the prayer. Well, after eight years, outgoing President Buhari and his administration have left parts of Nigeria on the verge of collapse. Under his watch, the northern part of the country has become a a frontier for extremist groups, warlords, and violence. Uh, What began as a crisis of human rights and religious freedom has now 
tipped the country into a position where many experts believe Nigeria is already a failed state. More Christians are killed for their faith in Nigeria than in all other countries combined. The tragedy of St. Francis Catholic Church in Ando State is just one example of the senseless attacks that have recently taken place in the country. In June of 22, terrorists aimed with, armed with explosives uh, recently um, taken place in the, in the country. Um, they stormed into a church during a service, shooting those who tried to escape, killing dozens. Global Christian Relief, the organization um, that reported on the events, is helping the community there uh, with traumatic care, uh, or rather trauma care, and some other aid that's uh, necessary. They've heard firsthand of the shock and the fear that the community is experiencing, and it is harrowing by all uh, firsthand accounts. Well, leading up to the election, many religious freedom advocates hope that third-party candidate Peter Obi, a self-avowed Christian, who was, um, would be swept into office. But in the end, he only earned 25% of the vote. And while the uh, president uh, who was elected is himself Muslim, his faith tradition does not necessarily compromise his ability to lead the country toward a more just future. He made assurances along the campaign trail that he will not uh, run his administration on the basis of religion. So there's some hope there. And it's also notable that his wife is a Christian and an ordained pastor of the redeemed Christian Church of God. So this is a rather interesting couple, an interesting time in Nigeria uh, and the concerns about its future. Well, civil society has to protect churches, synagogues, and mosques. Uh, Tanubu needs to focus like a, a laser on the key issues dealing with extremists head on to protect religious freedom and faith communities in Nigeria while uh, restoring order and stopping the, uh, the literal bleeding that's taken place in the country. Nigeria immediately needs to be added back to the um, to the list. Not having that uh, designation in place prevents the U.S. from publicly recognizing the full scope of the problem. So as you are praying for the persecuted church and the church at large, remember Nigeria. They are hopeful, but cautiously optimistic. Well, we are out of time. I do want to thank James Blend for producing Sam Maupin for engineering. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.